Hello everybody, my name is Takiri Wandragala, Senior Consultant for Infrastructure at Lenovo. And I'm Valerio Rizzo, Lenovo Head of AI for EMEA. Welcome to the Lenovo NVIDIA Think AI podcast. A podcast about artificial intelligence and computer vision. Hello everybody, welcome to the Lenovo NVIDIA AI podcast. My name is Takiri Wandragala. I work for the Lenovo Infrastructure Group, and to help us on this uh, adventure into AI, I'm really happy to have my good friend and colleague, Valerio Rizzo. Hi, Tigiri, and hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Valerio Rizzo. I'm the Lenovo AI for the EMEA region, and today I have the pleasure to to bring here into to the stage our dear friend, Alvin Clark, uh, who is the product manager for NVIDIA. Thanks, Valerio, and uh, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. My name is Alvin Clark. I work for NVIDIA as part of the SDK uh, technical product marketing, focusing currently on DeepStream. Um, I kind of started my career as an electrical uh, engineer. That's what I went to school for and for my bachelor's, and then went on to uh, design uh, systems around FPGAs. Um, around you know communication systems, industrial inspection systems, et cetera, before moving on to, to sales and marketing. And like everybody else that's probably listening to this podcast, um, I got really interested as uh, machine learning and deep learning and AI started um, becoming more prevalent in, in the market and, and in development. And I am currently uh, um, pursuing my uh, computer science master's degree at Georgia Tech. Uh, with a focus on machine learning and deep learning. So, folks, Valerio and Alvin, w- would it be true to say that computer vision is where we've seen most of the progress in AI uh, in business and applications recently? Well, absolutely. We have seen in the last five years uh, dramatic advancement in, uh, in research and also application for the industry. One of the senses that the, the human being relies upon mostly is vision. Uh, I mean, if we think about uh, uh, visual cortex, uh, per se, visual cortex counts uh, 140 millions of neurons, and 50% of the neural tissue of the brain uh, is actually directly or indirectly related to vision. And uh, above 60% of our neural activity is involved in uh, visual processing alone. Um, that is one of the reasons why uh, an astronomical amount of the world's information is actually in the form of uh, uh, fixed image and videos. And uh, indeed, uh, visual data is taken and is still taking a prominent role. Um, and um, given the large and pervasive diffusion of uh, passive um, sensor, passive visual sensors, such as in our cities, uh, industry at home and, uh, and more and more even in our hands and pockets uh, such as smart devices and, and smartphones and um, and you can appreciate how much of this data is consumed uh, every day uh, by just by thinking that the amount about the amount of images and video uploaded every minute uh, in social media you know Facebook Instagram um and uh, till now we really struggle to uh, capture process and take action in real time on this kind of data um and actually uh, this type of data uh, classified as uh, unstructured data 
has always been a kind of inconvenience, you know? Just think about the cost of storing uh, this huge amount of, uh, uh, of data that had remained uh, so far almost completely unused uh, because it was super difficult to analyze. Now, like deep learning made, uh, made a, a huge difference um, uh, because of the, the ability uh, of uh, processing this data without defining the rules to uh, to understand the, uh, the the content of an image of the, this kind of data, and um, and also because he, he, he also changed the way we treated this data. We we didn't have to do um, uh, feature engineering uh, to analyze the uh, an image or a video. Uh, but now we have neural networks, uh, convolution neural network or uh, other kind of network that are able to analyze this data as a raw data. And that was really powerful and increased dramatically our ability to understand the data and, and, and extract meaningful insight out of this. And Alvin, what's your, what's your opinion on this? Well, Valeria did a great job of, of introducing um, what's going on with computer vision as a whole. Uh, and, and I loved your reference to Alan Turing and the work that's come before. Um, this day and age, it always seems that a lot of these technologies come out of the blue and sort of um, shocks the world. And it's always amazing when you look at the fundamentals that a lot of the mathematics and everything else kind of started, you know, not even half a century, but even uh, multiple centuries ago with some of the, the mathematicians that came before us. Um, but it's a, it's kind of a, a famous quote that kind of says that a technology reaches a, a tipping point when it hits three milestones. You know, first and foremost, it becomes technically feasible to accomplish important tasks with, tasks with that technology. Second, it becomes cheap enough to use uh, for those given tasks. And third, and most critically, uh, it becomes sufficiently easy enough for non-experts to build products with it. So we can see really with vision, as Larry, you pointed out, you know, there's so much information. Uh, and, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, it, technology doesn't move in a linear fashion. Uh, so some of the, I remember when I was working on artificial intelligence, uh, writing software, and this was in the 80s, uh, the two of the big issues was um, uh, we didn't have enough data, right, to test stuff. And the second thing was the machines weren't fast enough. Uh, and I mean, as you pointed out, you know, those if we've crossed those bridges, that is, uh, you, you know, it's a game changer. Uh, and most probably that's why we're seeing all these benefits. And I, and I really like the, you know, the aspect of affordability of technology. Uh, that, that's really important with this. Now, you know, when you think about computer vision, a lot of people have preconceived ideas, okay? Uh, you know, you see on the, the web, you can put up pictures of dogs and cats and uh, AI can sort out between dogs and cats you know, on a good day, right? right? Um, but, you know, let's go beyond that, right? Uh, is there applications of computer vision beyond the obvious? So Alvin? Yes, we're seeing some amazing um, applications of computer vision across industries that you would normally not think about, um, you know, uh, applying uh, artificial intelligence, let alone be be uh, associated with uh, uh, you know cutting edge technology as well, um, and some of these are really making a positive impact. Um, for example, um, there's a company Aruga in in uh, Israel that is 
uh, training robots uh, using AI so uh, to pollinate tomato plants uh, in place of bees or to help the bees with their jobs. And uh, that's great. You know, there's a camera associated with a robotic arm. Um, that camera can identify uh, the flower and then a little uh, um, spray of air with pollen in it then goes and, and, and targets it. And that's, that's really amazing. Uh, there's another company that we work with, One Cup AI, out of Canada, that is creating um, systems to help uh, ranching um, keep track of the health, the activity, the nutrition, and the growth of the animals. Um, one of the things that they've taught me was that most ranches are family-owned or small businesses. Um, and actually, in a lot of cases, those ranchers need to supplement their income with second jobs. So they're not able to look after their animals uh, full time. Um, and now with the ability through, uh, you know, a couple of cameras deployed out in the field, um, they're able to keep a better hand on their animals and be able to keep track of their nutrition. And ultimately, we'll see less uh, unhealthy animals or animals going lame, which I think it's really great. And of course, one strong driver um, for the advancement and adoption of computer vision AI systems is being seen in, in healthcare and medicine, um, where it's being used to increase the speed and accuracy of diagnosis and disease screening, um, and is supporting public health um, and really helping with outbreak response. And as everybody that's lived through the last few years knows, um, you know, that can really be a, a, a critical thing um, that we might see more of in the future. And yeah. Valeria, would, would you like to comment on what you're seeing outside of the obvious in the aspect of computer vision? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to connect actually with this uh, last example Aldine brought uh, regarding application in medicine and in for clinical. Uh, scopes and uh, uh, something that I found amazing nowadays is uh, how um, some of the tasks, some of the problems uh, which are not originally uh, computer vision problems are uh, currently um, uh, translating to uh, computer vision problems so that they can be solved with uh, state-of-art uh, neural network uh, uh, for computer vision application. And I want to bring here just quickly a, a collaboration with Lenovo had with Yuanze uh, University. And one of the research team was actually studying uh, how to uh, correctly identify the depth of anesthesia uh, in patients going through um, under surgery. Now, originally, uh, what you do when you analyze the depth of anesthesia, you do um, an analysis on top of the EEG of the patients. So you uh, you put some electrode on the on the cranium and on the surface of the of the head, and and then you record the uh, the electrical activity of the brain by looking at the waveform. You understand the the mental state of of the patient. Now, usually when you analyze um, EEG, you usually work on time series. Uh, you analyze the waveform and uh, and based on the on waveform uh, features, you do your assumption. You have algorithms that are able to classify uh, the kind of waves and and report and return uh, uh, the status of the patient. Um, something amazing that they have done by using continuous wavelet transform, they turned the, like the EEG um, recording into a power spectrum. 
And so by doing that, like they were actually using convolutional neural network, AI networks for computer vision tasks. They were using this, the same network to analyze the, uh, the, the power spectrum of the EEG. And so turning uh, what is like a time series analysis and numerical analysis into a, um, a computer vision analysis. You know, the, the examples you guys have given is, have been so powerful. Uh, you know, I, I loved, Alvin, your example with the bees. Uh, you know, the importance of this sort of work uh, it cannot be underestimated. I, I remember, a, a, you know, a saying of Albert Einstein that if we lost the bee population on this planet, uh, we'd, we'd be out, you know, the human population would be gone in four years. Uh, so anything you can do with production of food, et cetera, is so, so important. And Valeria, your example was really stunning because we tend to think in silos about things like vision, sound, and the different senses. But actually, you know, you can use ideas across them. Uh, you know, people who, you know, if you don't have access to sound or vision, you, you can augment it another way or you can transform, like you said, into other, other spaces uh, to get... And it could be far more revealing. Now, now for all this amazing stuff to happen, we're going to need infrastructure, okay? Uh, and what is the infrastructure, the raw infrastructure that is needed to make this happen? When talking about computer vision, we are seeing a prominent role of uh, of uh, uh, graphic processing unit uh, GPUs in, uh, into this field. What we are seeing right now in terms of infrastructure uh, we are seeing, uh, as you said, like uh, in the past, we missed the, the computational power that allowed us to uh, to analyze this kind of data, to really take advantage of a massive amount of uh, unstructured data. I would say we had very good result now that we have uh, a powerful uh, uh, components such as uh, NVIDIA GPUs for processing the data. But we have also some challenges. So we have uh, a trend right now in AI. And the trend is that we see massive growth of uh, the size of this neural network and uh, accordingly uh, the, the size of the data set you need to train. Uh, What's known in, uh, in, uh, in scientific literature is the fact that there is a um, um, a, a tight relationship between the size of the neural network, the size of the data set, and the accuracy you may achieve. So the bigger is the neural network, the faster you learn, and uh, the better you learn. Uh, since 2012, uh, with the publication of uh, uh, AlexNet, um, we, we've seen AlexNet having 62 million, in, in terms of parameters we can define, let's say, the size of this network and also like the computational uh, resources that might be needed for this network. Uh, in 2022, uh, so nowadays, one network that is currently being applied also to, uh, to computer vision tasks, which is a, a switch transformer. Uh, this neural network counts uh, 1.6 uh, uh, trillions parameters. So you can understand how it's uh, 8,000 times bigger uh, than the neural network utilized for computer vision back in 2012. So if we count over eight years, we see the uh, 250 times uh, increase in size 
of neural network, which is not matched with the increasing computational power of uh, hardware architecture. So, um, hey, Valerio, I've got to yeah. stop you there and ask you something about, because you mentioned transformers there, okay? Yeah. Now, you know, for me, uh, the three things for transformers, right? One is a film, right? One is uh, my children, when they were much younger, they're in their 20s now, so now they don't use these toys, but there were toys called transformers, where you could turn a very nice looking car into something totally useless. <laughs> right? and, and the third thing I remember was from my days in, as an electronics engineer, we used to have uh, Laplace and Fourier transforms. So, so could you give the, the listeners some idea of these transformers you're talking about in, in the case of yeah, AI? Sure. So transformers are um, a new, um, let's say, a new state of art neural network architecture. Um, that is being used in, in tasks such as uh, uh, natural language processing or text translation. BERT, for example, that has been used by Google, it's uh, one of those networks that use transformers. Uh, one of the, the key features of this neural network is, uh, is uh, self-attention. So the, uh, the network is actually able to uh, process data and to understand data without like uh, uh, a specific sequence in the data. Uh, so in the imaging like in text translation, you need to go from the beginning to the end uh, and capture the sequence of the word within a specific order uh, to understand uh, the context and to understand the semantic of the of the sentence. In this case, like for this network, this is not needed. And so it, it became a, a very powerful tool to uh, to capture um, understanding sentences, but also understanding an anomalies in, in video uh, sequence. Uh, now, transformers are very large model, as I said, like with uh, trillions of parameters. Uh, and uh, for utilizing this model, you need like a very uh, high computational resources. And, and these models are actually shaping a little bit uh, the market or the architecture of hardware. We, we heard recently at GTC, NVIDIA announcing the new uh, Opera architecture that actually has some features that are needed to, to utilize this kind of network. And uh, I would like Alvin here to expand a little bit more on, the, on these new features. Yeah, uh, thanks, Valeria. Yeah, vision transformers or transformers in general are a super exciting um, evolution of, of where we are with neural networks and uh, especially how they apply to vision because you think about it even in your own eyesight um, for your brains, uh, vision is expensive, right? We can't take in and focus on every aspect of the world around us 100% uh, of, of the time. So, you know, you're watching a sports game, you're focusing on, on the players or what's going on on the field. You're not also focusing on, you know, what's going on uh, on the stands or what's going up in the sky and, and everything else. So transformers and, and the ability to, to um, provide weight to, um, of significance to different parts of the input data uh, allows us to, to better sort of mimic or focus in um, on that data that we're looking to, uh, um, to work on or, or to focus on. Um, and it's a great evolution to, you know, uh, of these neural networks that are now composed of, of multiple self-attention layers um, and the ability that the training sort of helps um, guide that, that attention. And uh, yeah, and thanks for bringing up Hopper. Yeah, we're very excited. 
brand new uh, chip architecture that was uh, announced at, at GTC and was really designed and architected to, um, to dive into some of these neural networks uh, or support the, the latest neural networks, including transformers. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Infrastructure, you kind of talk about it. Uh, it's as varied as the applications that they are out there for computer vision and AI and, and machine learning in general. Um, everything from embedded in a sort of self-contained uh, system where you would have something like the NVIDIA Jetson uh, Xavier or the newly announced uh, uh, AGX Orin, all the way up to these multi, you know, kind of cluster, multi-GPU, multi-accelerator uh, cloud in, uh, um, instances. Um, yeah, it all really depends, and it's really exciting because we're we're providing that that uh, that infrastructure uh, that can be tailored to the particular use case for for computer vision. Whether you're a municipality with thousands of streams uh, coming in from uh, multiple cameras um, uh, that need to be kind of processed as close to real time, kind of up in the cloud, uh, down to as we mentioned, a, a, a lonely camera out in a field looking over. Uh, um, a rancher's cows helping them out. So beyond the infrastructure, are we seeing a fundamental change in thinking, you know, of how we are handling computer programs when we're talking about AI? Uh, Alvin, what's what's your opinion on that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I'd like to use a quote from from one of my uh, Georgia Tech uh, professors where he kind of mentioned before AI. Uh, before this explosion in machine learning and deep learning, the algorithm was king. Uh, but now with, with AI, the data is king. So really the data becomes your IP. And it really is your domain knowledge. Um, you, you're the, the farmer that understands how to identify um, a potential disease in his crops. Um, and really where the infrastructure kind of comes into play is enabling um, those domain experts um, to be able to take that data and be able to teach a computer, teach a, a camera system, an embedded system, to be able to identify it, um, to act as a force multiplier, to help them in their jobs. And, and that really is sort of the, the fundamental. So as we see this infrastructure and this new neural network architectures um, come online and, and the hardware, whether it be edge hardware or hardware up in a data center, uh, adopt to to execute them more efficiently. Um, at the end of the day, the, the the user, the the what would be the the program developer, is really dealing with that data and training that data. Um, and that's really where where I see the the emphasis on infrastructure is how do we enable those those citizen data scientists, as as the, the term was coined, those domain experts to be able to uh, without becoming, you know, without a PhD degree in, in data science and deep learning, be able to take that domain knowledge that they have, uh, whether it be uh, in agricultural technology, whether it be in uh, industrial inspection, in healthcare, and be able to implement a, uh, an application that can, that can help them do their job and really um, better society as a whole. Avin, I, I really like that uh, story you gave from your lecturer uh, about uh, the, you know our shift in our world uh, from algorithms to data, uh, and it's absolutely true. Uh, the funny thing is, when I was at college, the first programming book I had to buy and read was by a guy called Nicholas Wirth, and it was called 
uh, data structures plus algorithms equals programs. Yeah. Uh, uh, and in the past, it was all about the algorithm uh, or the, but now it's the, how we handle that data, and that's really powerful. Now, okay, we, we've talked a lot about uh, this infrastructure, and you know, from your examples that you and Valeria have given, uh, it seems to be very much data-centered or cloud, yeah. Uh, and you touched on edge. You touched on edge in some of your examples. But but can we get a view of performing AI at the edge? Because I think that's the game changer for edge technology. We've we've had edge for years, sensors and catching information and passing it back to the data center. But being able to perform AI at the edge real time it is, I think, a, an absolute game changer in computing. So, Valeria, could you comment on? how that's evolving and what's possible? Yeah, absolutely. And then we cover two points that are uh, really key here. So uh, one is data. Uh, the other one is the uh, this increasing size of, uh, of models and algorithms that require much more compute power. Um, so right now we are seeing how um, uh, data is key, but also it comes with challenges. We have uh, uh, regulation for data protection. So most of the time, you cannot store the data, you cannot uh, stream the data into a data center. You have to process the data r right there where where it's produced. And and to analyze the data from the source, you need a lot of compute power sometimes. Basically, like bringing the data center outside the data center and being able to deploy that data center, that piece of compute power uh, closer to uh, cameras, for example. Uh, now, this is not trivial. Uh, that requires a uh, uh, ruggedized form factor. That requires uh, compute devices that are able to uh, to work in very harsh condition with very uh, in a, in a variety of uh, um, at different temperatures and and also that require um, uh, compute devices uh, servers able to host uh, the same grade of GPUs that you would find in the data center and uh, in Lenovo for example we we have a line of products uh, the uh, our edge uh, line, uh, which has made uh, right now we we seen like uh, smaller compute devices such as the SC30, 50, or 70. Uh, the SC70 being uh, um, empowered by its uh, an Nvidia Gen so, uh, based product, uh, but uh, we have other product for a larger workload. Uh, such as the SE350 uh, and the SE450, which are actually able to host uh, uh, enterprise-grade GPUs such as the T4 or like uh, A30 or, or even A2s, um, which are dedicated for a, a very large scope for uh, analyzing multiple streaming uh, from camera, uh, full HD, and, and closer to the data. Um, this this can be a game changer uh, for many application, including something. For example, uh, we we we've been in touch with uh, with customer um, like who are exploring their utilization, for example, into the medical field. Uh, for example, for real time analysis of medical imaging uh, during surgery operations, and so being able to bring um, a compute device 
with a small, very small footprint, with a very low uh, noise emission, with very low uh, temp heat emission, um, and being able to deploy it where like you are not supposed to deploy uh, a server. So Alvin, you know, um, uh, Valerio covered the edge servers. Can you think of other considerations when we're talking about bringing AI to the edge? Yeah, Valeria did a great job. Um, but I'll, I'll take, you know, kind of a step back or or go up a go up a level and kind of just look at it and and what's driving compute at the edge, especially around AI, and that is just the sheer amount of data that is generated every day by by the sensors, including cameras that are that are out there, um, and it's measured in in exabytes, right? That's that's how large it is, yeah. and really the ability. To, to process that data and get as much information out of that data is really the promise of, of, of AI. Um, and we're just not gonna be able to move all of that data um, to, to, to the cloud in order to process it. The infrastructure isn't there from, from the internet, even as great as, as 5G and, and satellite internet and, and uh, everything else has become, it's just, uh, you know, the, the ability isn't there to move all that data. And then there's the other part you mentioned, which is of course real time. So as we see um, AI come into play more around our lives, um, let's take, for example, um, a, a counter to check in at an airport, for example. Um, and some of these are automated now. So it said that five to 10 minutes is the maximum acceptable time for a customer uh, to be in, in prepared to be in line. Uh, for me personally, I would probably say about three minutes before I start getting a little antsy about standing in the line. Um, so real time is required. Um, so you know, computer vision and edge processing makes the ability to to automate some of these things with you know within acceptable reasons to be able to meet those sort of market requirements. Saying, hey, uh, the the customer experience needs to be this way. Um, so it's not the customer having to adapt to 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 the AI processing, but the AI processing making it available to provide a, a better customer experience. Um, then, then Valeria mentioned, um, you know, about healthcare and, and instrumentation, and I think that's another great example of, of edge compute. Is you can take one of these um, newer defined software-defined medical instruments that um, a platform like Clara Holoscan from Nvidia is going to make possible, and take it into poor rural areas um, or areas, you know, out there where they just don't have access to to um, the larger diagnostic equipment. That you would have in in a in a city center where you have a full-blown medical center or a hospital but there's enough compute there's enough power in the small foot, foot, uh, footprint of an edge system that is actually being able to to have a significant impact on you know for healthcare uh, and the ability to to, to provide uh, diagnostic support to those doctors and organizations that are supporting those com those rural communities around the world yeah for me i think edge is the you know the well the new frontier of compute really, uh, and we've we've we understand data center very well. Last twelve years we've been sort of working on the interaction between data center and cloud, but edge is the new frontier, and I think um, bringing all that processing capability out to the edge is really going to transform the whole approach to how um, IT infrastructure will operate for customers. Now, now we we touched on a, a couple of points there, which is uh, you know the, what I believe the most important thing, which is the applications, right? The applications hold the business logic, uh, 
and really it's all about this infrastructure is there to run the applications, right? So what are the challenges for the application developers and how can we help them with this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. AI, you know, it, it's a software first problem. Um, it, there's a lot involved uh, on the software side um, to get from your data um, to a, a productized model that's able to run on this accelerated and, and, and efficient hardware that we provide like the Jetson or, or NVIDIA GPUs. And so it, it takes a lot to get there. You know, for example, you might have a, a model that is trained, optimized, it's meeting its accuracy. Um, you know, you might have quantized it to run more efficiently at the edge, you know, applied sparsity. But you're also, you know, kind of, you have to think about Amdahl's law. Your processing pipeline is only going to be as fast as your, your slowest node. And there's a lot that goes into productizing and, and deploying a, an AI workload. You might have multiple video streams coming in. Um, those streams might, may need to be decoded. They may need to be scaled to the correct resolution that can be uh, sent to the inference model. Um, they may, you may need to change the color space that those video uh, images come in at. And on, on, once you have that metadata, once you have that results from, from your inference model, you, you may need to have to do something with it, post-process it. Uh, you may be trying to um, do some level of tracking, or you might be looking to send that message up to the cloud or, or interact with a control system to turn an autonomous vehicle, for example. And so you don't want your pre-processing to be slow because then you're gonna be starving your inference model that's running on all these great accelerators. At the same time, you don't want your post-processing to be slow because then you'll be throttling uh, your pre-processing and your inference model. So you really have to look at the application to do, you know, to be efficient, you know, in terms of meeting all these real-time requirements, these low latency requirements that we've been talking about. Or when we come to, to the cloud or data center or on-premise, um, you're talking about just sheer amount of bandwidth, you know, um, what's required to support as many cameras as possible for a given set of hardware. And so a lot of this then becomes not just, hey, how efficient is my training? How good is, is, is my training? But also um, what software is available to help me productize, to take this data, to take this model. And really, this is where NVIDIA comes in. So we, NVIDIA has a lot of SDKs to help with this. We have Tau, which allows um, you to take a pre-trained model and not have to have a large data set to um, in order to train it and then you can optimize it to run on on the a given platform whether optimize it to run on on cloud or optimize it to run in a smaller jetson device you can also um, you know uh, uh, optimize it or adapt it given you know fine tuning of, of data then you have things like deepstream which kind of handles those pre-processing and post-processing nodes for you uh, very quickly so you're able to take advantage of that model that you've compiled. Um, I wanted to mention that, you know, one of the biggest trends in AI for, for uh, 2021, 2022, and probably into next year as well, is synthetic data generation. And this is doing a digital twin. And so I, people have heard of, of Omniverse from, from NVIDIA, and it's the ability to take a, a model, um, a, you know, create a virtual digital twin of a real life um, object or environment. Um, so you can imagine, for example, in the case of a warehouse, you might be building a warehouse, you might be populating this warehouse with robots. These robots are going to be 
kind of co-working robots. They'll be there alongside their, their uh, uh, human employees. And you want to start thinking about the models that are going to come into play and how you're going to train these robots in this given environment. Um, the type of cameras that are going to be in there, the, the way the, the, the warehouse is going to be lit, uh, the type of lights and everything else. Um, and you don't want to wait till that warehouse is online and all the machinery is in there before you start, you know, uh, collecting data and then programming and testing and everything else. Um, with Omniverse and synthetic gener data generation and digital twins, you're actually able to um, create a digital representation of the real world and then collect massive amounts of data synthetically and start training those models before even that warehouse is built, before that warehouse is online. Um, so Omniverse, ISEXM, uh, a lot of the SDKs that NVIDIA has recently announced are really kind of focused on, on helping customers, um, you know, once again, focus in on, on that IP, which is that data, right? Data is king. That's really what's going to enable a lot of these use cases. So yeah, really excited to see. Can talk all day about, about SDKs, but I'm also eager to hear what, what's available from Lenovo. Yeah, it was worth mentioning that Lenovo is actually certified the Lenovo servers, either Edge or uh, or a data center server for NVIDIA SDK, uh, and as one of the the fewest vendor um, who certified uh, NVIDIA Omniverse uh, for uh, Lenovo servers empowered uh, with NVIDIA GPUs. And um, mentioning like SDK and, uh, and application development, um, I want also to add that uh, uh, when when uh, developing AI models and uh, and, um, and working with uh, with AI-based software development, one of the critical part is the uh, is the um, you know orchestration, the utilization of the of the resources for uh, the training part. There is a, like a lot of discussion right now, and it's a, it's probably it's a, uh, one of the most popular uh, topic around AI right now is uh, machine learning operation. That means like all the operation around the uh, the the production of model and the implementation into production. And uh, one of the challenges that uh, Lenovo had, had to tackle uh, for uh, uh, fulfilling some of the requests of the uh, of uh, of uh, uh, of its customers is uh, simplify the utilization of uh, HPC infrastructure for AI workload. And uh, many of the challenges come from the fact that uh, when it comes to um, uh, for, to working on, on different projects or or different teams accessing the uh, the same infrastructure, of course, like the skill set might not be the same. Um, uh, that could be a long-lasting uh, uh, learning curve uh, for uh, learning new tools uh, to operate those infrastructures. So uh, the the utilization of the infrastructure per se might not be uh, ideal, and so uh, the total cost of ownership might increase. You might waste the resources, human resources, and professional resources, uh, such as like a data scientists or that engineer for tasks that are not actually uh, related to their professional skills, but more to for an IT task. So what uh, Lenovo has done, uh, we have developed a piece of software, which is called the LICO, uh, that stands for Lenovo Intelligent Computing Orchestrator, that simplify uh, and democratize the access 
the utilization of uh, uh, large um, of complex compute resources such as the HPC uh, for a non-HPC user. So basically, folks, what we're saying is there's a very rich software environment to help application developers. So that is really, really important because, as I said, for, for some of the people listening to this uh, uh, podcast, uh, you know, it, it's going to be not only addressing the problem of writing the applications, but it's the tooling. And also to take that tooling beyond just the development of the application for the deployment and running of that application. Now, now given what we've talked about, we've talked about the infrastructure, we've talked about the, the applications, what I want to go to is each of you to give me an idea of one of the projects you're working on, right? One of any groundbreaking projects. Now, I understand you may not be able to reference specific customers. Give me an idea of some of the things that you're working on that embrace AI, computer vision, and some of these technologies we've talked about. Can I start with Valerio? One of the most interesting projects uh, as a vision is really something we, uh, we, uh, we imagined in the in the 80s, you know, flying cars, etc. Is actually uh, urban air mobility. This uh, uh, new technology that will allow us uh, to deliver goodies uh, like across the cities uh, with unmanned drones, for example, or even bringing people um, physically from one part to the other of the city. Uh, by using taxi drones and so uh, overcoming the, what is the, the problem of ground traffic congestion. Uh, we are working uh, together with uh, uh, one of our ISV partner, which is uh, part of the NVIDIA Inception program. Um, and, uh, and what they are building, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this company, is making sure uh, that air corridors are safe uh, and so uh, the, the flight uh, can be done without any, uh, you know, without striking any object, any other uh, flying object. Uh, this is uh, done by means of a computer vision application um, and, uh, and using, of course, uh, both NVIDIA hardware components and, uh, and, and uh, in particular also using uh, uh, NVIDIA Metropolis SDK. So we will talk in, uh, in the next episode about this, uh, this cool application. Uh, so stay tuned for more. And Alvin, do you have a, a project or a pet project that you could uh, uh, share with us? Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of one of the amazing things about being in, at NVIDIA is that you get exposed to so many uh, um, organizations and people doing so many cool things. Um, you know, uh, having lived in, in California, both Southern California and Northern California for a long time, um, the, the applications are kind of like a, akin to the one that Valeria mentioned that do anything to help reduce traffic uh, are always great. And, and I know that there's a, there's a company um, that has done has showcased this in in, in South Korea, um, and they took a really busy BC intersection, and they were able to reduce uh, traffic by uh, by 33 percent during um, uh, I believe 33 percent during uh, uh, rush hour traffic, which is amazing, right? So I think a lot of lucky people. So I'm looking for for most of that. Um, but really, what it's not really an application organization that that I kind of want to mention, but it's really the, the the platform and one of the things that that we're doing 
um, is uh, around healthcare, which is Claro Holoscan. That is, um, I believe, um, an early access or the the early release will be available in May when this podcast airs. Um, and I really like the the, the capability, right? It, it, the combination of, of bringing edge AI to um, into healthcare, um, and as I mentioned in, in a previous kind of uh, bring, and then what that's going to be able to 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 do for rural communities uh, across the world. Um, that's where I came from. Um, I was born in, in Central America uh, and far away from from hospitals and and uh, and, and medical. Um, um, you know, re readily available medical uh, support. So when the doctors that we, we did have available, if we can enhance those those folks um, uh, with better diagnostic tools uh, that are taking advantage of all this great work that's being done across academia and the industry to to bring healthcare and to enhance healthcare uh, with AI, I'm really excited to see the, the positive impact that that's going to have uh, in the near future. Okay, that's great. I think you know, you know what you both of you have really pointed out is you have potential of using AI in virtually every single area. Yeah, uh, every single customer environment could benefit from AI technology, and the the importance is to realize that uh, the the infrastructure is available, the the tooling the, to help that is there, uh, but more importantly, the I think the key thing is partnerships. Uh, you know, NVIDIA and Lenovo partner to build these systems, but we work with other vendors. And in our next podcast, you'll see some of the work we're doing, uh, which takes this right into application environments for manufacturing. And, and make sure you join us because then you'll be able to hear from uh, Bike Lake on what they're doing for manufacturing industries. So taking some of the ideas we talked about today, but actually showing how it can apply to an existing customer environment and change the game. So make sure you join us. And Alvin Valerio, thank you so much for helping us with this podcast. Thank you, Alvin. Thank you, Takiri. No, thank you, guys. I uh, love being here. Thank you so much.